Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the final Peter Schiff Show podcast for 2023. And I'm bringing it to you commercial free from uh, my home here in Connecticut. No, I I did have a studio here, but I had some water damage. The studio was in my basement and some water uh, got in. And, you know, I always talk on the podcast about how homes are money pits. It's not all appreciation. There's a lot of expense when you're a homeowner. And one of them is water in the basement. And so they've been working on redoing the floor in that whole room. And it's taking a lot longer than I expected. So I haven't been able to redo my uh, Connecticut studio. So I'm just doing uh, the podcast again from my laptop uh, down in uh, the game room of my of my basement. But this is the last podcast for 2023. I am off to Colorado in a few more days, January 3rd. And we're going to be out there for a week uh, doing some skiing, something I have not done in quite some time. So hopefully my 60-year-old body uh, can handle can handle the snow and the, the altitude. But we'll be there for a week, and then I'll be back in Puerto Rico on January 10th. So don't expect a podcast. I might do one. It's possible, but I could do one uh, from uh, the place that I rented. Uh, I may I may do that, depend, depending on what happens. But if, if, I, if I'm too busy uh, and you don't get one, then 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 that's then that's why. But I'm definitely going to be doing them when I get back. 2024, I think, is going to be a very, very interesting year. And they say, you know, it's good to live in interesting times. It's an old Chinese proverb. And I think we're going to be living through a very interesting year, to say the least, in 2024. It's an election year. And who knows? I mean, this could be a crazy election. You know, I was just looking at predicted. And finally, the odds of Trump winning 
are the same as the odds of, of Biden winning. And I've been saying for a while that I thought Trump was a good bet on predict it because he was not favored. He was behind many, many points. And so he's caught up. You know, what I think is also interesting looking around at the, the betting odds is that the odds of Trump being the Republican nominee are basically the same as the odds of Biden being the Democratic nominee, even though Biden doesn't even have any challengers. So that tells you there's still some hope, and I say hope among the Democrats, that Biden steps down. Now, who's going to replace him? I don't think they care, <laughs> just so long as it's not Biden. Because if you look also on predicted and you look at by party, which party is going to win the presidential um, uh, race, the Democrats are a slight favorite still. They used to be a bigger favorite. That It's narrowed quite a bit. But if you just look at who the next president is going to be, uh, Biden or Trump, it's neck and neck. They're basically the same. And so the reason that people think that it's more likely that the Democrats win is because there's a good chance, maybe 30, 25, 30 percent chance that that uh, Biden won't run, that he won't be on the ticket. Now, the question is, what gets him to leap? And is he going to be pushed out or is, is something going to happen to him? You know, the Democrats are trying their best to keep um, Trump off. Right. I just now in, in, in Maine, uh, the attorney general just decided to summarily uh, eliminate Donald Trump from the ballot, claiming that he's disqualified from being president because of the, the 14th Amendment, which I already went over on this podcast, which does not apply to the current situation even if Trump had been tried and convicted by some court of insurrection, which never happened. But again, this was meant to stop, you know, civil war generals and people like that who had taken an oath of office and who then took arms up arms against the United States and fought a war against the United States. It was designed to keep those people uh, from office, not, not somebody uh, like like Donald Trump. But I think it's ironic, too, because the Democrats are saying, oh, he was trying to overturn the, the 2020 election. He was trying to cheat or rig the election. Well, what do you think they're doing? What is the attorney general of uh, of uh, um, um, was it no, Maine? I'm the blank. What, what is she doing? Um uh, in 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 kicking in kicking Trump off the ballot. I mean, she's cheating. So it's kind of ironic that they're they're cheating in the 2024 election, supposedly because Trump protested or people protested what they thought was uh, a rigged 2020 election. But one of the the interesting elements that the election uh, is is going to um, you know cast on the overall market and the economy is I think that the Fed is going to be doing everything it can to try to reelect Biden or whoever uh, may run if Biden does not. I think it's clear that that's what's going to happen. And I know that from prior uh, election cycles, it really doesn't matter the party affiliation of the Fed chairman matter who he was appointed by. What matters is who is in the White House 
at the time because the Fed chairman always wants to play ball with whichever administration is in power. And I, I don't think the outside administrations hold a grudge because basically what happens is the Fed is going to try to help reelect whoever's in office. And so if uh, the opposing party wins, well, now the Fed is on their side. So they're not really going to call them out or get mad at them for helping the past president when now they're the president. And now the Fed has got their back. I mean, that's kind of uh, how the, the unwritten rule. The Fed always favors the incumbent. Now, why? Well, it's the incumbent that can renominate them, right? So whoever wins the White House has the power to nominate somebody to be the Federal Reserve chair. So he's always trying to butter up whoever the winner is. And so even if um, Powell um, were to try, uh, you know, to help Biden, once Trump gets in there, you know, it, you know, it'd be okay. Well, now you're the guy, so I'm going to help you, right? I'm just going to be consistent. But this is really different because even though Trump appointed Powell initially, he criticized Powell repeatedly when he was president. So I think that Powell pretty much knows that his job ends uh, with a. Trump presidency. Trump is not going to renominate Powell. I think there's a lot of bad blood there uh, between Powell and Trump. And so he knows his job is on the line too. So that's another reason to really try to help uh, Biden get elected. And, and so that is going to be, I think, a major theme going on behind the scenes. And it's part of how I am looking at the election, I mean, the, the, the landscape of the markets and what I think is going to happen. A lot of that is based on the politics and how I expect the Fed to uh, act in an election year where the basic economy is very weak and everybody is trying to pretend that, it, that it's great and trying to convince the public that a lousy economy is, is a booming economy. The Fed is going to be a big part of that deception. The only hope Biden has of pulling this off is with the cooperation of the Fed. If he doesn't get that cooperation, there's no chance. Uh, and so I think that's going to happen. Now, before I actually get into the scenarios, I want to just mention a little bit about what happened in the markets. You know, we finished off today uh, on a bit of a down note. The major stock market indexes all lost a little ground on the day, but they were up on the week. And it was still another positive week for uh, for the markets. In fact, the markets have been up now, I think, nine weeks in a row to end the year. That hasn't happened in some time. So it's been a very strong market uh, in the, the waning weeks of 2023. 20, uh, the Dow Jones... Ended the year. I don't have the exact numbers. These are pretty close. I jotted them down earlier. But the Dow was up about 13.7% on the year. Russell 2000 up 15%. S&P 500 up 24%, a little more. NASDAQ 
up 23%. And the NASDAQ 100 was up over 50%. This is the best year that the NASDAQ 100 has had since 1999. Now, of course, you know what happened there, right? That was the peak of the dot-com bubble. And it was downhill. 2000, the market started to sink. And then the NASDAQ dropped about 80%. So the fact that this is the best year since 1999, in and of itself, could be a warning sign that 2024 could be a very problematic uh, year for, for the market. Of course, I know all you Bitcoiners are out there. You know, Bitcoin was up something like, I don't know, 150% on the year. I don't know the exact percentage. I think it went out around 42,000 or actually the year isn't even over yet for Bitcoin because the rest of the markets have closed. Bitcoin is going to trade 24-7 until the ball drops uh, on New Year's Eve in Times Square or whatever. It's, it's not going to stop trading. In fact, it'll trade on New Year's Day. Uh, but so we don't know the exact uh, gain on the year, but it was obviously a big year. But of course, it followed a big decline that we had in 2022. All this gain is on the hype of uh, Bitcoin ETFs. And again, I've been saying buy the rumor, sell the fact. I still think that the market's going to start selling off ahead of the fact. So I think if you're waiting for the fact, you're going to be waiting too long. I think the smart money who gambled is going to be taking their bets down before uh, the actual announcements are made. And of course, it's not even a done deal, right? They could disappoint and they could decide not to approve it. And also, Bitcoin is still about 40% below its uh, 2021 high. So while fool's gold did not make a new high in 2023, the same is not said of real gold. Gold actually had a pretty good year, you know, not a phenomenal year, but it was up 13%. That's the best year since uh, 2020, so three years ago. 13% is about the same return as the Dow which means in, in, in gold terms, the Dow was basically a push, didn't really go up at all. The other stocks did. I mean, the big driver of the NASDAQ was the AI theme, you know, NVIDIA, you know, Meta was a big performer based on, you know, it's, you know, AI, Microsoft. So these big tech stocks that were perceived to be beneficiaries of AI, they kind of led the charge. And that was a big part of of the rally. I mean, the rest of it was all the Fed, but that also played played into it. Uh, but gold, you know, had a good year. In fact, it hit a new all time record high. It got over twenty one hundred. I still, I think the high was twenty one thousand, no, two thousand one hundred thirty five. Excuse me. Um, so it was a good year for gold. Gold closed over two thousand for the first time ever. It's never closed a year above 2000 i think it closed just above 2060 again it softened a little bit last couple of days of the year but it had been very strong leading into the end of the year now in contrast to that gold stocks had a very disappointing year gold stocks were barely positive i think that the major indexes gdx gdsj they were not even up one percent i mean they weren't down on the year but they were barely up. And, you know, if you knew at the end of 2022 that gold was going to be up 13% on the year, if you knew that, and if you also knew 
you know, that it was going to hit a record high. It was going to go above 2,000, close above 2,000. Um, you didn't bet a lot of money on the gold stocks if you knew that. And you'd have been disappointed uh, because, again, gold stocks barely went up. Now, why? Why did gold stocks barely rise? I mean, normally, if gold's up 13%, you would expect gold stocks to be up at least double that, if not triple. So a 13% move up in the price of gold should translate into a 20 to 30% move up in gold stocks, at least. Uh, but you didn't get that. And the main reason I think you didn't get that was gold climbed a, a wall of worry for the entire year. Investors kept expecting the price of gold to go down, even as it was going up. And that was mainly because the Fed was hiking rates. And rising rates are perceived as being bearish for gold, uh, rising real rates. Uh, on treasuries as treasury yields rose and people's expectations of inflation fell. Uh, all that was supposed to be bad for gold. And of course, you know, we had a big rally in the dollar, which fizzled. It was, uh, the, the rally was uh, the first half of the year, not the second half of the year. But there were a lot of reasons that investors remained negative on gold. And of course, you know, they were making a lot of money in the NASDAQ. So it's not like they, they needed an alternative to tech stocks. I mean, tech stocks were doing great. Uh, so gold stocks just were very disappointing. I, I, I would have thought that they would have done a lot better, even without knowing that gold was going to go up 13%. But of course, if I knew that for sure, I, I would have anticipated a much bigger move up in stocks and we didn't get it. Now, what that means to me is that, well, it's a better opportunity now for 2024, I think these stocks are going to catch up and I think they can catch up very quickly. Uh, so I'm very comfortable with the position that I have in these stocks. And I think we're well positioned with gold at record highs. And I still think that the support now is 2000. So at 2060, we're at the floor. I think gold really has one direction that it can go and that's up. And so I think these gold stocks really don't have much downside in them from here. And at some point, they're going to have to catch up to the rally they've already missed. And, you know, we got oil was down on the year. Oil was down 11% on the year. That's also good for gold stocks because oil is a big uh, part of the cost of mining. So that should have helped gold stocks. And it didn't. Uh, looking at the dollar, you know, the dollar index ended the year down 2%. That should have been a positive. I mean, it, it rallied in the beginning of the year. Look at the Swiss franc. The Swiss franc was up about 10% on the year. A very big year for the Swiss franc. I think it's the biggest year since maybe 2011 or something like that for the Swiss franc uh, against the dollar. Of course, the Swiss franc has been strong against the euro and other currencies as well. But I think that is a very negative sign for the dollar for 2024 and a positive sign for gold because people are buying the Swiss franc as a safe haven. Well, I think gold is an even safer haven than the Swiss franc. But the fact that the Swiss franc is gaining so much on the dollar is an indication that people are leery of the dollar and its safe haven status is fading. And if you look at a chart, the Swiss franc looks very bullish. And I expect maybe a new record high in the Swiss franc 
in uh, in 2024. We still have a ways to go to hit that high, but I think technically it looks like we can do it. And of course, if the dollar does break down the way I think against all currencies, then I would expect a Swiss franc uh, to be a good performer, probably one of the best, and, and make a, a new high. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Now, long-term treasury yields, they were pretty much flat on the year. I mean, they got clobbered in the first three quarters of the year. And then we had a huge rally in the fourth quarter, thanks to the Fed's pivot. And that brought yields on the long-term treasuries. I'm not talking about the short rates. The short ones were obviously up because we had all those hikes. But the yield on the 10-year and the 30-year treasuries are only slightly above where they were at the end of 2022. Uh, but again, that's only because of the recent Fed pivot. But it, if you look at what happened to long-term treasuries the year before, they got killed. I think uh, if you owned the uh, the TLT, which is that uh, closed-end fund that owns uh, has an average maturity of 20 years, so it's got a combination of 10s and 30s, it was down, I think, 33% last year. I mean, a horrific year. And it gained nothing back. Now, it did finish about 20% off its lows, so you had a huge rally in the fourth quarter. So you were down like, 50% or close to 50% uh, in, in treasuries, right? An instrument that people thought was a safe haven, low risk, lost half your money. It was a huge decline. And so now with this 20% rally, it's not as bad, but it's still a big drop in treasuries. But what's interesting, or maybe not interesting, but it, it, it's important to point out that stocks, the Dow hit an all-time record high. We had NASDAQ hit a record high, right? Big rise in stocks. So while bonds didn't recover any of last year's losses, the stock market recovered all of last year's losses and then some. And so that just shows you how expensive the stock market is relative to bonds. Because bonds have gone way down and stocks have gone in the other direction. Stocks have gone up. Now, why have stocks gone up? even though bonds have gone down, because stock investors are anticipating a big bond rally. That's what they, they think the Fed is going to go back to zero or close to it, back to quantitative easing. And so they're factoring all this in. They're pricing this easing cycle into the markets now, and they're betting on it. Well, I think they're making a very bad bet because they don't understand uh, what is going to be happening. And they, they still think that we can go back to these good old days of below 2% inflation, at least the way the Fed measures it. And so the Fed, we're going to have lower interest rates or near zero rates again. Uh, and that's not going to happen because inflation is not going back down to 2%. Just It's just not going to happen. Now, sure, we have had an improvement in the inflation 
from the worst levels that it got when it was officially up 9%. Sure, it ended the year closer to 3%. But that does not mean that we're going to keep going down. It's very likely that we're banging along the bottom and that we're going to reaccelerate in inflation. It's far more likely that inflation is going to end 2024 higher than it ended 2023 on a year-over-year basis. It's far more likely that that's going to be the case. But the stock market has completely discounted that possibility to zero. The stock market is betting that inflation stays low, or it's just in betting that the Fed doesn't care about inflation because it's betting on all of these rate cuts, bringing bond prices uh, down to justify already elevated stock market prices. But it's far more likely that inflation goes the other way. I mean, the big reason that inflation came down, one, it went up so much and everything ebbs and flows. You're always going to have, you know, some cyclicality. Uh, so you're going to get a big move and then it's going to pull back. But one of the main reasons that inflation came down was the dollar, the strength of the dollar. The dollar index rose from about 90 to 115. And that was, you know, 21, 2021, 2022 increase. That's what brought down oil prices. That's what brought down commodity prices. That brought down the headline CPI. Uh, and so that's gone. The dollar's not going to be going up anymore. The dollar's going down. It's already reversed. 2024 could be a horrible year for the dollar. In fact, that's my forecast. I think the dollar is going to drop 10, 20% in 2024. There's no way that inflation is going to come down in an environment where the dollar is that weak, because that's going to really push up commodity prices. That's going to push up our, our trade deficit. By the way, we got another trade deficit number this week. We got the, um, the November number. That was a horrible number. It was 90.3 billion deficit. It's a big number. It was worse than expected which was 89.6 billion. It was worse than the prior month at 89.8. And what's also bad is how we got there. There was a 2.1% drop in imports and a larger 3.6% drop in exports. Uh, and so the deficit got bigger. That's a sign of a very weak economy. But these big trade deficits are going to weigh heavily on the dollar, I believe, in 2024, especially if the Fed is cutting rates. So with rising trade deficits and a weakening dollar, import prices are going to go back up. And when import prices go back up, headline CPI is going to follow. Uh, so the markets have got this completely wrong as far as inflation. In fact, if you look at all of the financial news stories at the end of the year, Everybody is congratulating the Fed. Everybody's saying this, you know, they, they did the impossible. They stuck the landing. You know, they got the soft landing. They didn't cause a recession. They restored price stability. They did what nobody thought they can do. You know, I was reading an article in Yahoo Finance uh, about how the, the recession that everybody just assumed was coming, how we avoided it as if we avoided it for good. Like we dodged the bullet and now everything is fine. We didn't avoid the recession. I mean, first of all, we had one, except they didn't count it because they didn't count those two quarters 
of negative growth. But I know people were looking for a bigger recession. So was I, and we didn't have it in 2023. But that doesn't mean we're, you know, we're out of the woods. We could easily have an even worse one in 2024. And this Yahoo Finance article was specifically crediting all the money that the government spent in, uh, you know, uh, COVID-related pandemic stimulus stuff. All these this spending, this is why we didn't have the recession. Maybe, yes, maybe we borrowed a lot of money to postpone the recession for another year. But all that means is we have a worse recession because, you know, we dug ourselves in a deeper hole. We borrowed all this money. Now we have more debt. We have more debt to service. We have more debt to repay. It's, it's not a free lunch if you borrow and spend a bunch of money so you technically aren't in recession because that's not really economic growth. It's not the economy that grew. Our debt grew. Our debt grew by more than the economy. We just spent money. The government spent money. Consumers spent money. Where'd they get it? We borrowed it. That is not a healthy economy. If that's the reason that we didn't have a recession in 2023, well, then it could be the reason we have an even bigger one in 2024. And so Yahoo Finance shouldn't be crediting uh, the Biden administration for you know saving us from recession. They should be criticizing them for dooming us to an even worse recession uh, after the 2024 election, although it may start before. But again, I think the Fed is going to do everything it can uh, to to kick that can down the road. Also, what the article pointed out was one of the reasons that rising interest rates didn't bite was that so many consumers had locked in low rates. They had fixed rate mortgages in the twos or threes. And so the fact that they went up to seven, it didn't matter because most people didn't have to pay that because they still had the low rates. Well, yes, that was why the consumer did good. But that's also why the banks were insolvent. That's why so many banks would have failed. Several did fail in March of this year. But the reason we didn't have a full-blown banking crisis, which would have been worse than 2008 because the banks were in worse shape than they were in 2008, was because the Fed did a preemptive bailout, something they didn't do in 2008. Uh, and, and, and so, yes, the consumer was insulated from the effects of rising rates only because those effects were put on the banking system instead. What the consumer saved, the banks lost. Had the consumers not locked in all these low rates, the banks would have been in better shape. But the borrower's law gain is the lender's loss. And in this case, the lender's loss is horrific. And those losses are going to come back to bite. So the, the Yahoo Finance article focused on the benefits to the borrower in 2023. Well, in 2024, all eyes are going to be on the losses to the lenders. And that's going to be a much bigger story with respect to the economy and the markets. But the way I think this is going to go down in, um, in 2024, so we've got two possibilities on inflation, right? Either... The consensus is correct and inflation keeps going down or I'm correct and it goes up. Let's just discount the consensus for the purpose of my analysis. And let's say I'm right. Inflation 
goes up from here. There are two things that the Fed can do in the face of that changing economic data. Powell could come out and say, you know, we expected lower inflation. And it was based on those expectations that in my December meeting, uh, we said that we were going to cut rates. And we indicated that rate cuts were coming and the dot plots indicated rate cuts. But that's when we were under the impression that inflation was coming down. But now that we're faced with a different reality, now that we see inflation heading higher, we're going to have to take those rate cuts off the table. And in fact, we're going to be raising rates some more. And so we thought that five and a quarter, five and a half was going to be the peak. Now we don't know. Rates might have to go quite a bit higher because it's clear that we didn't quite kill inflation yet. It's come back and we have to fight harder, right? That, that's one thing that Powell can do. Now, I don't expect him to do that. I certainly don't expect him to do that in an election year, because if he does that in an election year, he destroys any chance that Biden has of getting reelected. Now, I don't even think he has that great a chance, but the only chance he has is if the Fed helps. And given that Trump is not likely to reappoint Powell, and Powell knows this, uh, I think he's going to be a team player, and he is not going to take away what he has giveth to the markets and to the Biden administration. In fact, if the Powell, or if the Fed rather, really uh, was willing to take away the rate cuts if inflation picked up, they never would have promised them. They would have stayed tough, which is the way they were just in the prior meeting, in the November meeting, right? Six weeks earlier, Powell said, we're not even thinking about rate cuts. We're not talking about it. We're not thinking about it, right? We're, you know, we're going to stay the course. Six weeks later, that's all they're talking about is rate cuts. So what changed? Well, I think politics changed. I think uh, the Biden people had a talk with Powell and uh, that's, that's what happened. But since they did that pivot, there's no way they're going to pivot again. That would be a destruction. The markets have already priced in all these rate cuts. How are you going to take those cuts away? I mean, you're going to precipitate a crash if the markets don't get that. It's like they've been promised this drug and they're already high. I mean, they, they, they basically consume the drug. How are you going to suck it out of their system? Uh, without this massive withdrawal. So if Powell really was going to be data dependent and abort these cuts, if the inflation numbers uh, turned around, he never, ever uh, would have indicated that rates were coming down because that puts him in a bind. If he had never promised these cuts, it would have been a lot easier for him you know, to do nothing. You can't promise the market something and then not deliver on those promises when they're built in to the market. Now, what Powell could have done is just said nothing and just surprised the markets with some positive statements on rates later in 2024 after getting more data 
on inflation. But he didn't do that. He had to preempt that. And one of the reasons for that, I think, was the bond yields were up at 5% on the 10-year to the 30-year. It was already a big problem, and they couldn't wait. Powell needed to do something to stop interest rates from rising, to stop mortgage rates from rising. And so he had to do this. He had to come out and pivot. Uh, he had to tell the markets, we're done. We're going to start cutting. This is what brought the rates down. This is what brought mortgage rates down. Uh, they're still too high. I mean, people still can't afford to buy these houses, even though rates have come down because they're not back down in the threes. That's where they need to be. We built a housing market on 3% mortgages. So 6% mortgages don't work. You know, maybe it's not seven anymore, wherever it got to, but it's still too high uh, given, given the current price. And there's still too much debt. Even though rates have come down, they haven't come down nearly enough. So that scenario where inflation gets worse and the Fed reacts to it by pivoting and tightening policy, I discount that. I mean, is it possible? Yes, but I would assign a low probability to that happening. What I think is far more likely is that the inflation numbers get worse and Powell ignores it, rationalizes it, comes up with a new word for transitory. You know, I don't know what, you know, I don't know if he wants to dust off transitory again, but he might have to come up with a different word uh, that, that's similar to transitory um, because he's going to have to dismiss it. He's going to have to state that th th these numbers are just temporary. Uh, you got to give it time. You, know, you got to let the monetary policy work. It works with the lag. I mean, I think he's going to come up with all sorts of excuses to not disappoint the markets and, and take away what he has promised with respect to rate cuts. Now, is it possible that higher inflation might slow down the cuts a bit? Maybe we won't get as many cuts, potentially. I don't think the cuts are going to be taken off the table, and I don't think we're going to get any rate hikes. In fact, what I do think we're going to get is a return to quantitative easing, even though inflation is getting worse. And that is really going to light a fire <laughs> under, under inflation, right? It's already a fire, but it's going to you know, throw more uh, you know, logs onto it. Um, and I think this is going to happen by March of next year, because that's when the Fed's, you know, facility to bail out the banks uh, matures. Remember, all those banks that brought their underwater mortgage-backed securities and, um, and mortgages and treasuries to the Fed and got par for paper that was worth maybe 70 cents, the paper isn't any more valuable now than it was then. It's still underwater. So the banks can't afford to take that collateral back, nor do they likely have the cash. Because what the banks did is they went to the Federal Reserve and they, they gave the Federal Reserve their underwater treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, 70 cents worth of you know, paper. They got a dollar and they gave that dollar to their customers who were withdrawing their money. So they could deposit it in a money market and it could be loaned to the U.S. government at 
So when these bonds are due, the banks don't have the money to repay the Fed. So they're, they're insolvent. Well, the whole purpose of the facility was to prevent the banks from failing. Well, they're all going to be failing in March. And so what does that mean? Well, now they're going to have to come up with a new plan. They're going to have to monetize this all over again. Uh, and that's going to require quantitative easing to do this. And this is going to alert the world that it wasn't a temporary program. Of course, nothing is temporary. Remember, uh, when uh, Bernanke was asked originally in 2009, when he first did quantitative easing, and he went up on Capitol Hill, and somebody accused him correctly of monetizing the debt, uh, Bernanke said, no, 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 we're not monetizing the debt. We're not a banana republic. Hey, we, we don't do that in America. This is just temporary. We're just buying these bonds temporarily for this emergency. As soon as the emergency is over, well, we're going to put them right back on the market. Well, the Fed's balance sheet was barely over a trillion when um, Bernanke made that commitment. Well, now it's eight trillion, eight times as big. Clearly, um, either Bernanke was lying or is just completely clueless. But I remember when I heard that statement, I said he was full of it, that there was no way the Fed was gonna be able to return these securities to the market, and, and they couldn't. And there's no way they can complete the shrinking of the balance sheet they've got now. Yes, you know it's kind of surprising that they were able to unwind a trillion dollars off their balance sheet, but look at what it did to the bond market. We had the worst year uh, pretty much in history last year. Uh, this year was a push only because the Fed came to the rescue. But I think that's it. I think that we're seeing the, the lows. I think, you know, we're at 4%, around 4% now. So we got up to 5%, right, in the 10-year to the 30-year. And now we're down around 4 I think that's about as low as they're going. Even if the Fed cuts rates, even if the Fed goes back to QE, I think that the long end is going to rise. I think the yield curve is going to steepen because inflation is going to be accelerating. And investors are going to understand this now, that inflation is never going back down. It's going to keep going up. Our budget deficits are not going down. They're going to keep going up. Our trade deficits aren't going down. They're going to keep going up. All of this is a big negative for the dollar, which is a big negative for bonds. In fact, look at the Japanese yen. You know, Japanese yen was around 150 at the lows or over. It got a, it got it got it got above that number. Now we're back down or closer to 140. But you know, that was probably the blow off for the yen. I think the yen has hit its low, and I don't expect the yen to retest the lows that it set earlier this year in 2024. In fact, I think this is it. Uh, I think the yen is going to be rising against the dollar uh, for 2024. And that is going to be a huge problem for the U.S. bond market because the yen is going to be rising and so are yields on Japanese government bonds. And that's going to be a problem. And, and, and so all of this is going to fuel uh, inflation, a weak dollar. But the Fed's not going to do anything about it. They can't, they can't in an election year. There's no way. It's like they've already finished the, the tightening cycle 
and they've set the markets up for an easing cycle. Can you imagine what would happen to the stock market if the Fed pulled the rug out from under those expectations? What would happen to the bond market? What would happen to the economy? The economy is already weak. I mean, this is the lie uh, that everybody is telling uh, about the economy. Look, we got some more economic data this week. You know, it was weak data. We got the Chicago Fed National Activity Index, November. It was supposed to come out at plus 0.2. It came out at plus 0.03. So barely positive. But they revised the prior month even worse. It was originally reported at minus 0.49. And it was revised to minus 0.66. And the three-month moving average is minus 0.2. That is weak uh, manufacturing. Same thing with the Dallas Fed manufacturing came out at a minus 9.3 following a dourly revised right to a bigger negative number for the prior month of minus 20.5. Um, you know, again, more weakness in manufacturing. Richmond Fed manufacturing for December uh, down 11. It was that was a bigger drop. It was down five in November. The expectation was from down three to down seven. It was down 11. Again, I mean, manufacturing is already in recession and it has been in recession for some time. In fact, the the weakest of the numbers was the one we got today. We got the Chicago PMI for December. Right, so it's the last PMI of the year. And in November, everybody got excited about the Chicago PMI because it spiked up. It got up to 55.8. And people thought, finally, it's back in expansion. We're above 50. Uh, you see, Bidenomics is working. There was a lot of positive spin when this number came out. And that was a shocker because nobody was expecting it. Well, on the podcast, I talked about it. And I said, I thought it was an aberration. I said, look, I mean, this is an outlier and I expected it to be reversed. Well, here we are one month later, the expectation was for 50. So a pullback, right, from 55.8, but still a 50. And we came out at 46.9, just collapsed. Lower than the lowest estimate, which was 49.4. So we're back in contraction, we're deep in contraction. Uh, and this was a a... a bad way to end end the year you know and even we got the pending home sales even with the big drop in mortgage rates now this is a november number so they they went down even more in december but they were looking for an increase of 0.8 instead we got zero you know no contraction but no increase either even with the drop in in rates because as i said earlier the rates are still too high people can't afford it so we're, we're off to a very, very weak start uh, for 2024. Uh, In fact, I do think that the economic numbers are going to be weakening, and that's going to put even more pressure on the Fed to try to help create the illusion of a prosperity. And the only magic trick they have is inflation. All they can do is print money, lower rates, uh, to try to convince voters that the economy is better than than it is. Now, I don't think the trick's going to work. I don't think the voters are going to get fooled, but that doesn't mean they're not going to try. And the other big story 
is going to be the debt. 2024 could be the year that the debt finally matters. You know, I, I had expected the national debt to hit 34 trillion before the end of this calendar year. And it's not quite there. I'm looking at the U.S. debt clock. And right now it's 33 trillion, 957. It's actually been increasing pretty slowly these last few weeks. Now, I have a feeling that's just because the national debt clock is not really up to date, right? Every once in a while, they have to adjust it. Uh, and I, I'm expecting a, you know, a big jump at some point and that you'll see the debt really spike above 34 trillion, you know, when they get some new data so they can adjust the clock because it's just an estimate, right? So they have to adjust it, you know, when they get actual data. Um, but given the talk that began this year and as all of these bonds mature, we're going to have, as I said, a tremendous, you know, 11 trillion or whatever of um, maturing uh, securities that are going to be rolled over at much, much higher rates um, than they were originally borrowed. In fact, the Fed is probably still going to be borrowing on the short end. And so short rates have not come down at all. If the Fed wants to roll over this paper in one year treasury bills, it's paying over 5%. But when they originally borrowed this money, they might have been paying 25 basis points. So the impact on the deficit is enormous. If we actually go into a recession, if the recession wasn't canceled, if it was just delayed, like I think, the recession in and of itself is going to push the deficit up because it's going to suppress revenues and it's going to increase spending. And if we do go into recession, there's going to be all sorts of calls for fiscal stimulus, as if the stimulus that we already have isn't big enough because we already have a massive fiscal stimulus. But if we do have a fiscal stimulus and we're going to get a monetary stimulus, I mean, we're certainly going to get one if we're in recession, but the Fed is already promising a monetary stimulus by you know, projecting uh, rate cuts because cutting rates is going to be a stimulation, right? I mean, raising them was the, the sedative. Cutting them is going to stimulate. It's already stimulated the stock market. Uh, so with all this stimulative policy, it doesn't make any sense that people believe that the inflation rates are going to come down. No, the inflation rates are going to go up. And inflation is going to be the number one issue in the 2024 election. It's not just the economy, stupid. It's going to be the prices, stupid. It's going to be inflation. And nobody is going to be able to convince the public that this is not a problem. And they are going to blame Biden. You know, they may not blame the Fed, maybe, but they're going to blame Biden for it because he's the one that's trying to take credit for it. Well, if you're trying to take credit for the economy, then you got to accept the blame. The voters are still going to let you own the economy once you claim ownership of it. But they're just not going to believe the spin when you're trying to tell them that everything is great when they're working three jobs and they still can't pay the bills. And so I think Trump's going to have a um, a very good a story to tell the voters uh, in 2024. Do I wish there was a, a different nominee? Sure. I mean, I mean, I, I, he, he's not my favorite. Uh, but the best candidates aren't even in the race. Right. They, they're not even running. 
Uh, but he's certainly going to be a lot better than, uh, than than Biden. But again, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. We have a huge um, bill that needs to be paid uh, for years and years of living uh, beyond our means. And, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, who's at the helm, right? We're going to hit the iceberg. But it does matter who's there for, you know, what we do after we hit the iceberg. That that's going to be key. That's going to be very important. Uh, and so, yeah, I would much rather have Trump uh, than than Biden at that time. He's he's more likely to listen to reason, and he's more likely to surround himself with people who may be reasonable uh, and looking for free market type solutions to government created problems, rather than trying to take advantage of government created problems by making government even bigger because the Biden administration is going to be filled with people who love government and they don't understand that government creates the problems. And even if they do, they don't care because as far as they're concerned, they want more government. And if it creates problems, well, great, because now it's a catalyst for more of what they want, which is government. They don't like individual liberty. They don't like freedom, right? They like command and control. They want the government to make decisions because they think the people are a bunch of idiots. Uh, when they're the idiots uh, and, and they're the ones that don't understand uh, economics. And yes, I mean, there's a lot of things that voters don't get, but I think they should be trusted to make their own decisions in life. You know, the, the Democrats think, oh, yeah, we, we, it's important that everybody vote. Well, if everybody is such an idiot, if nobody can you know, be left to their own, then why do you want them voting? The fact of the matter is, I want them making all their economic decisions for themselves. It's the voting where I'm suspect. That's where I'm on the same page as the founding fathers who wanted to limit the suffrage because they knew that if everybody was voting, then they would vote in a bunch of fools. And they didn't want that. They wanted good government. Good government is government that governs the least. And they didn't want people voting for special benefits and things like that. But the Democrats think people are too dumb to decide all sorts of things. The government has to do it for them, but no, no, they should decide who, who the leaders are, right? It's it's a contradiction. You know, I just read another uh, article. I put it up on my uh, on my Twitter. You know, I was hoping that I was gonna get a million Twitter followers this year, but for the last month, I've really been stuck. You know, I look at my Twitter and I gain followers and I lose followers. So I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm kind of stuck. Right now I'm at 987,300, so it's, it's tough to get that last, I need, what, 13,000 to get to a million, which percentage-wise, you know, it's less than 2% of, of my current followers that I need to get up to, to a million. So I'm, I'm, I'm close. Um, but, I, you know, hopefully I get there, you know, relatively soon. So if you're not already following me on Twitter, then, then make sure and, and follow me and, and get your friends to follow me so I can get up to a million followers. I'm not sure how many people have a million followers. I think it's a pretty big achievement because I don't think there's that many people that have that many, although there's people that have a lot more. But I think the number of accounts that have a million followers can't be that big. I don't even know what it is, um, but uh, there can't be that many. But on Twitter, um, I, um, I, I posted an article but in California, on New Year's Day, the uh, minimum wage at fast food restaurants, if it's a major chain, I forget the cutoff, but if you're a big company, and it's not just how many locations you have in California, but it's how many 
you know, locations you have, you know, worldwide. If you have more than a certain number of restaurants, I don't know what it is, 40, 50, 60, I forget the number. But if you're over this number, then you've got to start paying $20 an hour. And I think right now they're at $15.50. And so uh, I think two of the big Pizza Hut uh, franchise owners announced that they were laying off all their delivery people, about 1,600 people. They're laying them off. That's their Christmas present. They're getting a a, a pink pink slip in their stocking. Uh, and they said, look, we're trying to just do this, you know, because of the minimum wage. We just can't afford to pay them what you're requiring. And and so how how is this good? How does this help the people who just lost their jobs? Hey, this is great. The minimum wage is $20 an hour. Yeah, but you're not getting $20 an hour. You're getting $0 an hour. That's the real minimum wage. I mean, it's better to be employed at $15 an hour than unemployed at $20 an hour. And if they lost these jobs, you know, are they going to get another job? You know, I mean, obviously these were the best jobs they could get. If, they, if there was a better job out there, assuming, you know, they would have taken it. Uh, so they're probably not going to get other jobs. Maybe they're just going to be, you know, on welfare or something or unemployment or who knows, or maybe they'll turn to crime. I don't know what's going to happen. But obviously, um, they're not going to benefit from this. I mean, who might benefit? Maybe some people that are going to work on the robots that are going to replace them. I guess eventually when there's autonomous cars, uh, you know, they can have delivery, um, you know, without, without cars. But in the meantime, people will have to, I guess, rely on Uber Eats uh, instead of getting it directly from uh, a Pizza Hut. But, you know, these politicians are not you know, looking at the damage that they're, that they're doing. I don't even think they care about the damage because if they cared, you know, they, they, they would rescind the, uh, the, the, the minimum wage increases. Um, but, you know, more of these rates, uh, minimum wages are going to be uh, kicking in in 2024. So again, that's going to weigh on employment. Um, it's obviously going to bleed through into prices. It's just another reason that you're going to see uh, increases in consumer prices because a lot of these minimum wage hikes are going to go into effect in January. And so that means a lot of the price hikes that are a function of the higher minimum wage are going to kick in uh, early in the year as, as well. But anyway, so my expectation is going to be for a big year for gold in 2024, an even bigger year for the mining stocks, which I think really need to catch up uh, on what they've already missed out on as the bears throw in the towel on gold. And we really start to see uh, major buying coming in across the board, institutions, retail, central banks will keep buying. Also, I think this could be the year where we finally mean revert with respect to the U.S. stock market, which has been the only game in town for about 12 years, going back to 2011, U.S. stocks have dramatically, dramatically and unprecedentedly outperformed the rest of the world. I mean, it's not even close. Uh, you know, look at some of these charts. I mean, you can barely see an increase. I mean, foreign stocks are up, you know, in the last 12 years, maybe 30, 40 percent in dollars, whereas the U.S. stocks are up 200 250%, whatever it is. I mean, obviously NASDAQ up even more. Um, but all this is a gigantic bubble. It's a house of cards. It's built on top 
of a bubble in the bond market that is already deflating, a bubble in the dollar that is starting to deflate. Um, so I think this whole thing is going to collapse. I think we're going to be a sharp reversion to the mean that is going to begin an equally long period of underperformance for U.S. stocks and outperformance of foreign stocks, especially the emerging markets. That's where I think you're going to see uh, the most outperformance. I think emerging markets are not only going to outperform the U.S., but I think they're going to outperform developed markets outside the United States. And I think it's going to be a long trend. I think it's going to be like uh, the 2001 to 2011. That's the period where foreign stocks shine. That's where commodities shine. That's where foreign currencies shine. And that's where people lost a lot of money in U.S. stocks. Well, I think they're going to lose even more money in U.S. stocks in real terms over the next 10 years. Whether they lose money in nominal terms, I don't know. And in fact, you don't even have to know. Uh, the losses are going to be in real terms. If the losses are only in nominal terms, it's because we have massive inflation. Because the only way the U.S. stock market is not going down is if there's so much inflation that the dollar goes down even more. But if the dollar loses more value than stocks, that doesn't mean you're better off in stocks. That just means you would have been worse off had you owned dollars. But fortunately, the world's a big place. And there are a lot of other places you can keep your money other than dollars and U.S. stocks. Uh, and so that's where I suggest that uh, that people should be looking in, in the year ahead. Anyway, that's it for today's podcast. I may come back with a final podcast uh, from Colorado. But if I don't, well, actually, even if I do, that podcast will be in uh, 2024. So for now, everybody have a happy new year and may 2024 uh, be a great year. Uh, for for all of us and you know especially for you know people who are <laughs> following my advice uh, I think it's going to be a year where a lot of scores are settled and I think a lot of people who have uh, been critical of the strategy are going to um, you know have to come to terms with the fact that it was right maybe I've been early but patience I believe will be rewarded as ultimately the fundamentals win out over the speculators. Anyway, take care and happy new year, everybody.